Hi, my name is Lynn McTaggart. Welcome to my podcast, Living the New Science. In these first podcasts, I'm covering some extraordinary discoveries by frontier scientists and why this changes everything we think about how our world works and also how we should live our lives. Today, I'm having an amazing conversation with best-selling author and spiritual guru, Anita Morjani. Anita, you may remember, had terminal cancer and after a near-death experience, came back and was soon completely healed. One thing I have in common with her is witnessing instantaneous healing with my Power of Eight groups. So in this discussion, we're diving deep into the mysterious nature of healing. Welcome, everybody. I'm here with my dear friend, Anita Morjani, and we are here in conversation about spontaneous healing, um, because that's a subject dear to both of our hearts. Now, for those of you in my audience who don't know Anita, she is an amazing person. She had this extraordinary experience. She had end-stage cancer, had a near-death uh, experience after going into a coma, all of her organs shutting down, and came back after this extraordinary experience, in a near-death experience, came back and found she was healed within no time at all. It was the most extraordinary spontaneous healing. She went on to write two books, Dying to Be Me and What If There Is Heaven. She's an internationally best-selling author, and she has extraordinary ideas about spontaneous healing and exactly what it is. Thank you. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. Anita, tell us a little bit more about your journey. What happened to you? This was an amazing near-death experience. Well, thank you. Um, so... I had end-stage lymphoma and I had tumors, um, most of them the size of golf balls from the base of my skull, all around my neck, under my arms, in my breasts, all the way down to my abdomen. Um, I my lungs were filled with fluid. If I would lie flat, I would choke on my own fluid. I had open skin lesions, you know, where some of the um, lymph glands had just opened up so that toxins were coming out and um it's you know and, and i sometimes really don't like recollecting it because it's um yeah it's it's painful it's gruesome i i weighed 85 pounds at that time at my final stages where i literally was just skin and bones i was a walking skeleton but um my muscles had completely deteriorated and because my muscles had deteriorated, it was because my body was no longer absorbing nutrition. I couldn't walk anymore. My legs couldn't even hold up my weight. So I was either sitting down, lying down, um, you know, moving around in a wheelchair. People were wheeling me. My, um, my neck was so weak that I couldn't even hold my head up. My head would always be hanging down like that. Um, that's how bad I was. That was the shape I was in. And then I fell into a coma and the doctors said that these were my final hours. My organs had now shut down. And, but what had happened, so here's the thing. The previous night before falling into the coma, it was February the 1st, 2006. I felt so much pain, so much discomfort, so much fear. And I realized that I had been fighting and fighting this disease. I'd been fighting with my body. I'd been fighting to stay alive. And I was now really tired and in so much pain and discomfort that I felt that um, it was no longer worth fighting for my life. I felt that death can't be worse than this. Mm -hmm. So literally, I surrendered. And it was after that surrendering and I went to bed that night and the following morning I didn't wake up and I was being cared for at home. And so when I didn't wake up, my husband was frantic and he called the doctor, the doctor, my doctor told me, told him to rush me to the hospital. That's when all the doctors said that my organs had shut down. But all this time, even while being rushed to the hospital, even at home, when my husband discovered I wasn't waking up, 
I was aware of everything that was happening, even though my eyes were closed, <clears throat> even though I was in the coma. So when I was in the hospital, I was aware they were rushing around, putting tubes into me, but I felt no pain and no fear. I felt incredible. I felt light. I felt connected. I felt like um, really it just felt so <clears throat> I can, the only words I can think of is surreal. It felt surreal, but I was no longer in my body. Um, and, and I was aware that I was kind of entering this greater reality, if you will. Um, and it just felt so amazing. I'd never felt this good before, not in my physical life. <clears throat> and what happened though, is as I continued in this realm, I felt like I was continuing to expand and I felt, um, a feeling of what I can only describe as unconditional love. Like I was enveloped in this feeling of it was warm and safe. And then I started to sense other beings around me. I realized that I was dying. Um, I was aware of my physical body lying on the bed. It was like I was looking at it and my physical body looked so small and insignificant compared to how I was now feeling because I started to feel like I was entering the state of clarity because I was no longer in that limited body. And I started to realize things like that, wow, um, this is who I actually am. I'm not that little person or that little body who I thought I was. I'm something so much more. I am something much more magnificent and powerful. And I still live beyond the body. And there was this, just this, um, a beautiful, amazing feeling of incredulousness. And everything I was aware of, it wasn't like I was viewing through physical eyes because my physical eyes were closed. It was like I just had this super awareness and 360 degree peripheral vision. It's so hard to describe. And eventually I, um, so I'm going to kind of, um, um, keep this short because I share the, whole thing in other videos and in, uh, in my book, Dying to Be Me. But I encountered the essence of my deceased dad. And it felt like the, cause I, I, um, I sensed other beings around me as well, some of whom I didn't recognize. And I felt they were there to help me. They were there to help me through this process. But it was my dad who really was the one that was the key because I learned while I was in that realm that I had lived a lifetime of being in fear and making all my decisions from a place of fear. I feared disappointing people. I was a people pleaser. Um, I feared failing. I feared illness. I feared cancer. I feared everything. So every decision I made was one of fear avoidance. Um, and I realized from that realm that we're supposed to make our decisions from love, from passion, following our calling, not from a place of fear. I also realized while I was in that realm that it was a huge part of my fear was because of my upbringing with my dad. My dad was the one that had instilled all the fear in me. And so during my life, my dad had instilled the fear in me. And here I was with him in death in the other side. And it was my dad that released me from the fear and told me I needed to go back and live my life fearlessly. And, um, at first, no part of me wanted to come back. I wanted to stay there, but my dad wanted me to know that I had a purpose and I hadn't fulfilled it yet. And so when I made the choice to come back, I came out of the coma. I'd been in the coma for about 30, 36 hours. Um, and I came out of the coma and my body healed like within four or five days, all those tumors shrunk by 60 to 70%. Within five weeks, they could find no, <clears throat> excuse me, they could find no trace of cancer in my body. I mean, amazing story. And so interesting because, uh, as I said, I'm finding some real interesting parallels about what happens in group intention. So before we start digging into that and looking at this um, from our two perspectives, I'll just give a little bit of background about myself for your audience and how I came to start working on intention. Um, I have a background as an investigative reporter. 
you know, that was my background when I started out my adult life. And I worked with my husband in, in launching a magazine called What Doctors Don't Tell You. And in the course of doing that, we, I kept coming across very good studies of things like spiritual healing. And I kept thinking to myself, well, wait a minute, if you can have a thought and send it to someone else and make them better, then that in itself undermines everything we think about how the world works. So I set out to try to figure this out. And I thought, well, I'll talk to a couple of frontier scientists working in consciousness research. They'll explain to me that there's something like, you know, energy systems in the human body and I'll write it up and that'll be that. Well, that's not what happened. What I discovered was a bunch of scientists who were on the verge of a completely new understanding of how the world works. Each of them had discovered a tiny portion of what compounds into a completely new view of the world, a new paradigm, that we are more connected than we possibly realize. We're all part of a giant energy field called the zero point field. And I wrote about that in a book, The Field. But there was some unfinished business about all of these new ideas and this new science. And that was, as far as I was concerned, the idea that thoughts are an actual something with the capacity to change physical matter. And I thought to myself, being the hard-nosed investigative journalist I am at heart, well, what does this really mean? How far can we take this? Are we talking about you know, just shifting a quantum particle, something really subtle? Or are we talking about curing cancer with our thoughts? And I was also intrigued by the idea that, you know, maybe if we put more than one person together, you know, what happens if lots of people are thinking the same thought at the same time? Does that magnify the effect? So the real doubting Thomas in me, and I truly was, um, said, okay, I'm going to test this. I'm going to create the biggest laboratory in the world and test this out. So I figured at that time the field had was in 30 languages. So I thought, well, I've got lots of readers around the globe. And I also know all of these scientists I've interviewed who are involved in consciousness research. If I put them together, we'll have the biggest global laboratory in the world. So that's what we did. And that's how we started the intention experiment. And we've done all kinds of those 33 experiments I've just I've, I've talked about, including seven trying to lower violence in war-torn areas. Wow. But then the power of eight came about by accident, a little bit like your situation in that I wanted to scale this down, didn't know how to do that for a workshop, wasn't really experienced in any of that. And I just thought, talking to my husband one day, well, I don't know, maybe I'll put people in groups of eight or so and have them send healing intention to a member of the group with a health problem. And he said, being a good headline writer, I love it, the power of eight. So that's how it started. We did it in a workshop in Chicago, not really expecting it to be anything more than a little feel-good effect, but that wasn't what happened at all. The next day, when we asked all the group members to come back and describe their experiences, particularly those people who had had the healing intention, we heard things like this. I have depression, and it's completely lifted. Um, I have a, such bad knee arthritis, I can't walk, and I'm walking normally today. I have cataracts and I'm 80% better. I have IBS and my stomach feels clear today. And on and on and on these stories went. And we were flabbergasted because we didn't expect this. And I also didn't quite believe it. I thought, oh, this is a placebo effect. But I started doing it over and over and over again. I've now run thousands of them. And we have each time spontaneous healings, for instance, uh, just a few weeks ago, I was at a conference in London, and I always do a talk and then put people in power of eight groups, and I did. And there was a woman there with, her name is Maj, uh, Maya, and she was paralyzed from the neck down. She was in a motorized wheelchair. There was space for her in the aisle, and her group did a healing intention for her. And when we asked her to describe her experience, she stood up. She stood up, turned around, and talked to the audience. The whole wow. audience was in tears. I was in tears. It was hard to believe it, but there was one of what are now thousands of spontaneous healings in 10 minutes. So my, wow. my journey has been not only facilitating this, 
but studying the power of intention. What works? What, what, you know, how do you become an intention master? How do you have these spontaneous healings? And it's very much what I teach in my year-long Power of Eight Intention Master class, uh, which kicks off uh, every February and runs for a whole year where we put people in groups of eight and they get a lot of teaching from me um, about how, you know, intention boot camp, so to speak. And then we watch what happens. We monitor and watch and help what happens. And it's extraordinary to see if people can be healed in 10 minutes, what also happens if you keep them together in a group for a year? Wow. <clears throat> so it's it's amazing what you're saying, because this is exactly along the lines of my own thinking. Um, so, so if I can just say a, a few things here about this. So when I was in that state, uh, it was a realization that my body was not supposed to um, my body was a lot more powerful than I had ever been led to believe it is. And so I was in the state where miracles are possible, what we call miracles. I'm hesitant to use the word miracles um, because <clears throat> for, for, uh, for the reason that when we use that word, people seem to think that it's, um, it's out of your control, but it actually isn't. And we live in a paradigm that makes it very difficult for miracles to occur because one of the things that I also noticed, <clears throat> see, one of the things that bothers me actually is that I healed cancer and I can't heal this cold and sore throat. I have to let it run its cycle. <laughs> I picked it's up a cold. for you, Anita. <laughs> it is. Clearing out the junk. <laughs> Yes, I picked this up during my travels and I'm, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, yeah, I have to just run it, let it run its course. But what I noticed is that after I came out of the coma and, and the, and the cancer was like healing so rapidly. And I was saying to everyone, I know I'm healed. I know I'm healed. I don't need these tubes. I don't need the meds. I don't need anything. Nobody believed me. Nobody believed me. And when they don't believe you, and I'm talking about in the, in the hospitals, the medics and everybody, um, not only do they not believe you, and it is changing. So this is back in 2006. But um, the doctors were wonderful human beings and very caring. But they were, it felt as though they were trying to take my miracle away from me. Mm -hmm. And do you know what I mean by that? Because it was yeah. to them, it was impossible that something like that could happen. So here's what I sometimes feel. If we live in a paradigm where we believe it's impossible, then it is impossible. But if I didn't have that near death experience, if I did not have that and just had the spontaneous healing, it wouldn't have lasted long because they would have been able to take it away. So yeah. what's really important is getting people into an environment where it is possible so that they can hold on to the miracle. That mm. is that is what I've been trying to do because what's been um, blowing me away since my book Dying to Be Me came out is that um, uh, when I shared the story, my first thought was people are going to say, so you had the healing, so how does that affect me? And I was worried about that. I was worried people were going to say that, okay, so you had the healing. Um, how does that affect me? And I was worried that people were going to say to me, I need you, uh, like, can you heal me? And I didn't want to position myself as the healer because the whole point of the healing, I healed because it was like I took my power back. I realized that the power was within me. I realized how powerful my soul is or my energy or my whatever we want to call it higher self i realized that god you know god or the universe or whatever we want to call it expresses itself through me i had spent a lifetime of giving my power to other people so there were all these pieces i had to work with i thought i don't want everyone giving me their power the whole point is that they have to realize their own power and take it back and so when I wrote that book, I kind of wanted to keep all these things in mind. And I didn't want people to feel that I was just showing off that I had this healing and I was just going to talk about a miracle that happened to me that's so random. So I really had to word it in such a way so that people 
new. I was trying to say, you have the power and we all can access it and so on. But what blew me away was that the feedback I would get from people over the years now that people write to me and say, you saved my life. Um, my cancer healed because of you. I managed to go through that journey because of you, because you gave me hope. The doctors took the hope away, but you gave it back to me. And that's what made me realize it is like a switch you flick in the way somebody believes and thinks. And, you know, and, and I know that um, medicine has done a lot and the doctors who treated me were amazing, but I do feel that the medical paradigm flicks the switch in the wrong way. And so what we're doing is undoing what that paradigm is doing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that is really key is understanding that this is the power that lies within you. We have this extraordinary gift. I I keep saying it's a little bit like clicking your heels together and realizing that gets you home to Kansas. You know, I, it's that simple. And what people talk about, I mean, so much of what you described is what people talk about in my power of eight groups. Um, when they talk about, first of all, having that power, and then, of course, they're supported by a group. You know, they have people who have their back. It's very interesting for me to watch with the, with the year-long master classes because what happens is people start out as strangers, and they just meet virtually. So they meet on Skype or Zoom like we're meeting today, and they meet every week. And they, this becomes their family. It becomes their intention family. And they realize these are a group of strangers who have come together and they've got your back. And there's something so strengthening about that. And it's also that whole belief in possibility. But what I'm also finding, and I'm sure you do too, yes. um, a real key element here that I've been studying. And, and one thing that I wanted to do once all of these things started happening, Particularly, I was finding that it wasn't just the senders who were getting better or the target in the case of the big intention experiments, but um, the, uh, not just the receivers, but the senders were getting better too, whether they were in an intention experiment, the big stuff, or a power of a group, they were getting healed too. And so this whole mirror effect was really fascinating to me. And I wondered, what is going on here? where both senders and recipients of this healing intention is happening. And I wanted to understand why this was working and also understand exactly what people need to do with intention. You know, we know thoughts are things that affect other things, but, you know, we have to know essentially how to do it. There are some real ways that are better than others. For instance, your whole idea of, you know, giving yourself permission, the whole belief in it is really powerful. Yes. One thing that's really key that I've found, and I'm sure you have too, is the whole idea of getting into a state of oneness. That's almost like a key factor in our power of eight groups. I wanted to study why these groups were so powerful, you know, and, and what we found when we put people in groups for a year is more or less 100% of them of the people who meet regularly have major transformations, whether it is their health or their relationships or their finances or their career or even their life's purpose. All of these things begin to shift depending on their intentions, you know, with this kind of regular meeting with the group. So I started looking at this from every perspective and I looked at um, everything from group effects to the power of intention itself to altruism, getting off of yourself. And one of the real key factors here is entering a state of oneness, getting out of this separate feeling of separation. So I wanted to understand this. And luckily, Life University um, said they offered to study these power of eight groups for me. Um, They're the largest chiropractic university in the world. And they put their neuroscience department at my disposal. So we hooked up um, some groups of, of eight. We, we recruited Power of Eight groups from the student body, total novices, and we, we hooked them up to EEG machines, you know, that measure brain waves while they were doing these healing intentions for each other. 
And we found something extraordinary. We thought it was going to look just like meditation, you know, certain kind of brainwave states. It didn't. It looked completely different. It looked absolutely identical to the kind of brain states that are that happen with Buddhist monks during ecstatic prayer or Sufi masters during um, ecstatic chanting. Um, the parts of the brain that were par- are involved in separation, like the parietal lobes, which sit back here, they tell us how to navigate through space um, yeah. and what's me and what's not me. They were dialed way down. And so were the parts of the brain, the frontal lobes involved with worry, night, doubt, negativity. They were also dialed way down too. So these were brainwave signatures of people in a state of ecstatic oneness. They were having what the psychologist Abraham Maslow called a peak experience, where there are these kind of um, this altered state, um, this feeling of knowingness, a blinding epiphany of meaning, a feeling of connection with everything. Much of what you describe during your near-death experience. And I find that so fascinating because it seems to be that once we can get out of this sense of the separate little material being, this being that's a little connection of chemistry and electrical signaling, then we have this big possibility of healing. Yes, we absolutely do. We absolutely do because it is it is this belief that all we are is this physical little body and what happens in <clears throat> when when we deal with illness we seem to believe that illness is purely physical and we deal with it purely on a physical level but actually illness isn't physical physical is just the symptoms and so what we're both talking about here is dealing with it on a metaphysical level because what's happening in the metaphysical is what is actually being manifest in the in the physical. So that is, and I am not surprised that these experiments are working. It doesn't surprise me at all. What surprises me is why it's not more mainstream. Um, and and I was speaking to a doctor friend of mine who was telling me that um, who was telling me that the way that the medical paradigm currently is it's about fifty years behind what other like the kind of work that you and I do so and the kind of work that Joe Dispenza Bruce Lipton Greg Braden does the medical paradigm is about 50 years behind that absolutely So while we're speaking about healing and the power of intention, I wanted to let you know that just once a year, I open the doors to offer intensive year-long teaching on the secrets of intention and my breakthrough discovery about the power of small group intention. Well, the doors have just opened once again, and my Power of Eight Intention Masterclass 2021 is kicking off on February 6th, 2021. Thousands of people taking my year-long course have cured long-standing health issues, landed dream jobs, making relationships in their lives more loving, received a steady, abundant flow of money, discovered their true life's purpose, and much more. And here's your opportunity to do the same while working with your own close-knit tribe and helping them to heal their own lives too. So this is what it entails. The Power of Eight Intention Masterclass has six weekly two-hour live and also recorded webinars with me. And they're live and interactive. So you can learn my 13 unique keys to intention mastery and also practice while you're on the webinar with me and in small groups. You'll get your own specially created virtual Power of Eight group in your particular time zone, and they'll become your intention family because you'll be meeting them for an entire year under my ongoing supervision. You'll get weekly tips, advice, and guidance from me for the entire year. 
You'll get simple exercises and intention experiments you can practice in your daily life or group. You'll get monthly online monitoring of your progress so I can help you achieve your goals. And finally, four additional webinar sessions spread throughout the rest of the year. So you'll get invaluable feedback and new techniques, including my special time travel intention to overcome blocks to your progress. Now, if you book now, and I urge you to do so because my course sells out really early every year, you can take advantage of our early bird price, which secures your place for $100 less. So to find out more, check out my website, lynnmctaggart.com, go to courses and look at Power of Eight Intention Masterclass 2021 and find out all about it. You know, I was also interested, Anita, when you were talking about be these beings of light. Um, one of the things that I've asked people about when they get into these power bait groups is when you're healed and there's, you know, when people have been healed, okay, what did it feel like? And not only did they describe that kind of mystical altered state, you know, what Course in Miracles calls the holy instant. You know, it's a spiritual orgasm, basically. Yes. Um, they describe that, but they also talk about other beings sometimes. Um, yes. There was a woman called uh, Melissa who said she was an empath and she was in a power vape group. And she said, when I do this, I see light beings behind every chair of the circle. Wow. And it's like almost like this state of oneness can summon people from another realm uh, or entities from another realm. Another woman who had, she had, uh, she was due to have a knee replacement and her knee was so bad she could, it was wobbling all over the place. During her power bait group, and this is just the first time she met, um, she felt like there were warm mitts around her knee while people were intending for her warm mitts like some other entity was healing was it healing her. and then yes. she got up after it and did a deep squat it was just extraordinary and we get that sort of thing all the time where people come out of a power of eight group and they say wow my senses are really heightened you know the grass is greener than it's ever been the the birds sound sweeter than they ever have it is that kind of as you described too, that kind of ecstasy of, yes. you know, this, this, this peak experience. Um, and I find that so interesting, particularly with the groups. What's amazing to me is, you know, it takes years of practice to become a, a Buddhist monk or a Sufi master, you know, years of, and hours of discipline priming to get into the state. But our students, as part of our, our, our you know, our, our uh, study, as well as the people who enter from our course, um, are total novices. You know, they've never done it before. Most of those students hadn't even meditated before. Yet they were transported into this essentially altered state in an instant. And I started thinking that, you know, fast track, a fast track to these kinds of the state of oneness is a group. You know, you don't need sweat lodges yes. and you don't need ayahuasca. What you need is a group and a common intention. And yes. it is a kind of fast track to the miraculous, getting out of that state of oneness and into that state of possibility for healing. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. Exactly. And what you say about the beings, we are surrounded by beings all the time. That's exactly what I felt. I felt that there were these beings, that beings of light that were guiding me and showing me and and they wanted me to know that they were with me and they had always been with me and had never left my side and they were would continue to be with me so i still call on them even now i still call on them when i need them um i know they're there even when i don't call on them and and this is the thing when we are aware that we're surrounded by the beings um we open ourselves up to them because one of the things that I do as well in my, in my workshops and um, in my courses 
is I speak about how to get in touch with these beings and how to open ourselves up to these beings, because that is so important to know that we have these beautiful, benevolent beings who are there. And the more that we um, push away, yes, yeah, so, so the reason why it seems to be happening when people are in that state of intention, when you put them in the groups of eight, is because they are in that space where their mind is not occupied by anything else and they're open to receiving that. But when we are in a space of being in, in stress and fear and trying to meet deadlines and our mind is just racing and we're so in our mind, we're almost blocking the guidance from coming through. It's almost what it feels like is for the guidance to come through and to help us, there needs to be, for us to actually feel it, there needs to be a kind of um, uh, our energy field has to be a little bit lighter or thinner. And so that's why I think the monks meditate because they, they get into that energy field where they feel that guidance. So um, you don't even need to meditate. I wasn't someone who meditated when this NDE happened to me. But the idea really is, a, I tell people, find that state of joy. Do something that makes you happy. Do something you love. Be with people you love. Even that, that state makes you, um, makes you prime to receive messages and to get intuition. Just being in that state of joy, of empathy, of compassion, of love, those kinds of states, as opposed to stress, fear, anger. And so the, the, um, those states, the heavier states are the ones I find where um, I'm finding that maybe the guidance doesn't come through as much. No, absolutely. And you know, it's so interesting to know that we are surrounded, we've got these loving entities to help us. And certainly, as I say, that's that's what people are reporting over and over again with these power yes. of eight groups. One of the things that I find that really helps people get into that state too, one of the things that seems to work, and as I say, I've, I've looked at the power of eight groups from every angle to see what's the secret sauce here. And one of the secret sauces is altruism. You know, when a number of people in our masterclass aren't achieving what they want to achieve, you know, let's say they've gone along, they've listened to all of my my teaching, et cetera, week after week, they've met with their groups and they, they're not achieving what they want. For instance, Andy, you know, Andy was this really, really talented young woman, had two young children, was going through a divorce and needed a new job. And um, she uh, was looking everywhere and just got no leads. And she's very talented. She should have easily got a job and quite young, nothing. So she had her group intend for her and intend for her. And I was listening to this and trying certain things with her and finally just said, Andy, get off of yourself. Let's intend for somebody else. Just intend for somebody else. So I had a somebody else in mind who was a young boy called Luke, who is, was 15 and had broken up with his first serious girlfriend. And in a fit of adolescent angst, he threw himself off a 40-foot structure onto hard ground. So oh. Luke broke every bone in his body, had nerve damage, brain damage, all kinds of things. And the doctors didn't think he was going to live. So I had my whole master class do weekly intentions for Luke while his his stepfather kept a running commentary to us of feedback of what was happening to Luke right after our intentions. So it was really interesting. And we saw that Luke really had major changes each time we did it. And it was over three weeks. But here's the interesting part. I mean, Luke got out of the hospital in record time. Did we do this? You know, maybe it was good doctoring. Maybe it was us. But Luke is a completely normal, healthy 18-year-old now. So this wow. was three years ago. Um, but Andy was the more interesting story. Andy, the immediately, as soon as she started intending for Luke, she gets a call out of nowhere offering her her dream job. Now, that has happened over and over and over with people who were stuck in these groups. I'd say, intend for someone else, get off of yourself. And suddenly everything shifts for them. And when I started looking at the science of altruism, it makes a load of sense. You know, altruism is like a bulletproof vest. People who do things for other people are happier, healthier, live longer, 
you know, they're better in every regard, but also it seems to be something that is loosening just what you were talking about, Anita, that, that sense of fear, that yeah. sense of contraction. You get off of yourself and things start opening up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Are you going to be doing the, this power of eight when, when in fact, I realize that you and I are going to be speaking at the same, uh, at the same event in Ottawa. Are you going to be doing this in Ottawa? I am. Yes. Anita and I are going to be at the science and spirituality conference in Ottawa in June of 2020. And we're going to be joining Lee Carroll and Bruce Lipton, Joe Dispenza, Greg Braden, the gang. Um, And I will be doing some keynotes about my work and the intention experiment, the power of eight, putting people into power of eight groups and teaching a one day workshop, um, which gives you some of the rudimentaries of intention, you know, that um, uh, as I call them, the 13 keys to intention mastery and also how to protect yourself from self-sabotage because that's one of the big things. Yeah. Now, how about you? You're going to be, I'm, you're going to be there too. Yeah. I'm going to be doing a few keynotes and also a full day workshop where I will be talking about, um, about healing and how to turn, you know, uh, like basically how, what it means to have a miraculous healing and and it's about making the word miraculous into a more everyday word where it's not considered a miracle anymore i'm going to be taking people on a on a guided meditation to that kind to the mindset in other words a journey through the to through their own near death experience i've actually created an nde meditation um together with Barry Goldstein, you, you may know who he is, Barry Goldstein, mm-hmm. who is the sound healer. Um, so I've created an NDE meditation CD, um, but I, I do take live audiences through an, their own near-death experience where they can actually then feel into their own, um, I guess, their, their own power into their, they get to feel who their soul is what did their soul come here for? What was the soul's intention? Because um, I believe that our soul um, came here with an intention uh, and we call that our destiny, but it, it, but it is actually our soul's intention. What did it come here to, to be or do or impact? How did, how did it intend to impact this planet with its presence? And so our soul came with this intention, but we always have the free will as to whether we fulfill this intention or not. And usually fear and stress is what gets in the way. Fear Mm. of failing, fear of not being good enough, fear of disappointing people, fear, shame, stress. These things are what gets in the way of us fulfilling our intention. So in the NDE meditation, we take people on a journey into that um, in, into the depth of their soul where they get back in touch of who they are before they came into this planet and wow, why they chose to come. Amazing. Here. That sounds incredible. Wow. An NDE in, uh, meditation sounds brilliant. <laughs> well, I, you know, we're, we really are talking about um, making a shift in consciousness and making a shift in also our paradigm too. Um, one of the things, you know, I put people in power of eight groups just during keynotes so that they can experience that you don't need, you know, you don't need years of study. You need, um, you need a group essentially. And that this kind of state that we're talking about can come to you in an instant. Healing can be so spontaneous as it was with you, as it was with, you know, thousands of people who have taken my courses. Um, what I'm really interested in too is just the idea of of just shifting your mental focus and how that is so powerful. Um, one of the the elements I think that's that works so well in our power of eight groups is just that feeling of having that connection. You know, the connection is another big thing too, the group connection, because when we feel so separate and fearful, it is usually because we feel so alone. We have such aloneness. And once you have this group where you're working together and you're week after week 
intending for each other. Um, people talk all the time about losing that sense of, of separation and really coming to a sense of possibility in every regard. So, for instance, some of the people in our latest Power of Eight group that, and, and uh, Power of Eight Masterclass, which is coming to an end in January before my new one kicks off in February. Um, I've, you know, we had one woman, Michelle, who was really suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and terrible depression. And as a result of being in the group um, and seeing successes, first they started intending for dad for cancer and he got the right treatment and it got reversed. And she started seeing this possibility all the time. And suddenly that opened her up to when intention was done for her, she's no longer on medication. She's her depression is gone. And she just feels this oneness with this group. So I think it's that, you know, just getting beyond the very restrictive paradigm that we are born with, that we talk, people talk about us being, you know, lonely people on a lonely planet in a lonely universe you know, that we are just the sum of our parts, that there is no life after death, that the brain is, you know, analogous to consciousness, which you certainly discovered it was not. And, yes. you know, we buy into that paradigm. And that, I think, is really what causes not only illness, but causes so much restriction in our lives. So yes. those of us, in a sense, have busted out of that and seen the extraordinary possibilities um, I'm so fascinated by your, you know, the sense of, of consciousness that you had during your coma, your 30 plus hour coma, because I've seen that in, I collect near death experience and coma stories because to me, they're always evidence that consciousness does not equal brain because these are situations where the brain, if it's running, everything is unplugged essentially, but yet you were still aware of everything. Oh, yes. Yes. And it, it um, definitely consciousness does not equal brain. And, and, and it's interesting that, that that is still disputed by many people. Um, because even when I would speak about my near-death experience after, after it happened, I shared it with, um, with doctors in the hospital. One or two of them abs did believe me, but there were one or two that said, no, that's just your dying brain, it does that. It releases these chemicals that just makes you hallucinate. Um, and I said, yeah, but it still doesn't explain how the, how the tumors just disappeared. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's interesting that, that there is a reluctance to kind of accept that it is two separate things, that, that the, that the brain, that consciousness is not the brain. It's, it, it acts independent of the brain. So there were two kind of studies that I found were really interesting and, and, and really back up the kind of experience that you had in terms of what's happening to the body. Of course, there are many near-death experience studies done by a guy called Dr. Pin von Lommel. I'm sure you yes. know about him, the, the Dutch oh, yes. cardiologist who collects these stories and they, you know, they're always extraordinary stories of people who were you know, like one guy who came into the hospital declared dead on arrival from a uh, car accident. And um, they pulled off his clothes and they put his false teeth on what is called a crash cart. And afterward, they re revived him. Some hours later, he was revived. And when he was conscious again and saw his doctor, he just turned to him and said, could you ask that lovely blonde nurse who took my false teeth out to return them to me? And this is at the point where the guy was pronounced clinically dead. Um, but there are two other things that are really interesting. Um, one is a study by Dr. Konstantin Karatkov, um, who invented equipment to study the, the very subtle light that comes out of the human body called biophoton emissions. Just we all send out this little current of light. And what he did is he studied newly dead cadavers and he found that they too were emanating light for a certain amount of time, hours and hours after their death. And it also mirrored their kind of death. They had certain kinds of light when they had a, a, an, you know, a, um, a, an extreme death, you know, like they'd had an accident or some sort of a um, thing like that, a catastrophic death. 
and another kind of light when they just kind of slipped away after an illness. And also the studies by psychologist, Dr. Gary Schwartz, who did studies called the afterlife experiments. And he had these very well-controlled studies of mediums um, who were collecting information about dead people and telling it to not even relatives. They had controls, so it wasn't even talking to the relatives. Um, and they had an 85% accuracy or something like that. In one case, they even did what they call a, he called a double blind, double deceased experiment where he found out about one dead person and what was their characteristics about them from another dead person, then told to a medium. So oh double deceased. And his, that also worked. It was just amazing. So That's these amazing. kinds of studies give us an idea that your experience wasn't just, you know, the ravings of a dying brain, as they like to say, doctors like to say. These yeah. are evidence that consciousness is not encased in the brain. Yeah, it's and there is else. so much evidence because I have met so many near-death experiences, like many, because I have attended meetings at IONS, I, that's International Association of Near-Death Studies, and there's some incredible stories they share. I have appeared in documentaries with other fellow near-death experiences, experiencers. Um, and I remember I met a Spanish guy who couldn't speak any English, but he was on this documentary with me. Um, and so his story was being translated. But what was really amazing about this guy was that he had been declared dead um, and he was in the mortuary. He was literally in the mortuary with a toe tag before he came back to life again. Wow. So that, wow. that was phenomenal when he said, yeah, he was in the mortuary. <laughs> that is amazing. Now, yeah. were all of these other people you've met, did they also have healings when they came back? They were um, different. So they, I don't know of many, maybe one or two that have had healings but most of them have not, but they had a renewed sense of purpose. Um, one person I met, <clears throat> wonderful guy, <clears throat> excuse me, from New York, um, who's also written a book. <clears throat> His name escapes me right now, but he was in a, he was uh, hit by a car while he was crossing the street. So he, he died and then came back and he suffered cardiac arrest and he was on a crash cart and everything and they brought him back to life and um but it changed his life and so he did have to endure his injuries and go through a, a slow process of healing but i think his healing was faster than it would have been had he not had the nde that's one and the second thing is i don't think they expected him to heal but he did and mm -hmm. so because his injuries were pretty horrendous. And um, so but but he still went through being in hospital for quite a while and, and healing his broken bones and ribs and so on. Um, and a lot of other people I know, they didn't have obvious injuries, but some of them, in fact, after the near death experience, have still had to deal with certain the aftermath of the physical um, injury or accident and but they kind of have a better understanding of why they have that so it's mm -hmm. changed their perspective of life but many of them were healed a lot of the people who I know who have experienced healings like spontaneous healings miraculous healings healings as a result of whatever um you know in in the groups that I've worked with or the workshops, they haven't had near-death experiences, but they have experienced healings by going into different states and then feeling their angels and their guides, feeling the warmth of them coming. Like the lady you said who felt the hands around the mitts mm -hmm. around her knees. I've had people feel that and experience a healing from that. Yes. 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 And, or lots of energy. I mean, a, yes. our, our power bank groups talk about huge amounts of energy. I mean, one of the things that really blew my mind, um, and I, as I say, I came to this as a doubting Thomas when I first started the intention experiments, not expecting it to work, really. You know, thinking, oh, we're going to have a little mild effect. We're not going to purify water with our thoughts. We're not going to, 
you know, make seeds grow faster with our thoughts. And yes, we did. You did. Um, it blew your mind. It, it blew my mind. Um, but what was really interesting to me was the feeling of during the intention experiments. I mean, I run them usually from my website or now from a YouTube channel or some other channel now. So I'm doing it live with people around the world. And what I have found is un bearable, almost unbearable energy emanating from my computer. And that's exactly what people describe. They talk about, um, they say things like this, because I, I survey people afterward to find out what happened to them. And they say things like, um, um, I felt like I was part of a higher network, or my hands were tingling, or I had goosebumps. I was crying uncontrollably. I felt like I was in the tractor beam of Star Trek. And, uh, you know, it stopped right after the experiment. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, we're all sitting individually in front of our computer screens, thousands of miles away from each other, all around the world. Why is this happening? As well, what I also found was really weird was when people did an intention for something, let's say to lower uh, violence in war-torn areas. We've done that seven times now. And all seven have That's <clears throat> demonstrated a lowering of violence, whether it's St. Louis, Missouri, the officially the most, um, most violent place in America, or Sri Lanka, or Afghanistan, Yemen, Jerusalem. Um, what they've also described is greater peace in their own lives. So for instance, um, they'd say they would write in things like, oh, my, my estranged father and I made up, it's a miracle, or I'm getting along better with my not so nice boss, everything's turned around, or my family is so loving now, I don't know why, you know, and this would be thousands of people describing it, or if we were trying to heal something with an intention experiment, there would be thousands of people who healed themselves, who had found this kind of weird rebound effect in doing this. So once again, I guess, it's this feeling of moving out of individuality into that state expansiveness that you're describing, Anita, of us moving into almost like a different realm of connection that we just don't have in our own little separate spacesuit that we usually inhabit. Yes, that's beautifully put. That's very, very beautifully put. Uh, and yeah, and I love that. I love that you have intended peace in in countries that are going through war and riot that's that's a beautiful thing to do and and i thank think we you. could yeah and we i think more of us need to do that thank you so much well one of the amazing things when i did one with uh, for uh, jerusalem recently we had an audience of we had um cameras in different um um cities or throughout the Arab countries, and then one camera in uh, Jerusalem filled with Israeli Jews. And it was we were using equipment where it was um, two-way equipment, so I could see them, they could all see me, I could see them, they could talk to me, they could talk to each other. And we had it run over my YouTube channel. And it was amazing because, you know, we it looks like we lowered violence in Jerusalem, but what was more interesting was what happened to... Uh, the Arabs and Israelis, they started saying things like, your God is my God. And, you know, we love you, sister. And everybody's crying. Everybody wow. was connecting. And it was that rebound effect was happening to them as a result of participating in this bigger experience of intention. So for me, I suppose for you too, it's really about that walking into that larger space, just getting yes. into that larger space where miracles of all kinds can happen. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing this time with me, Anita. Uh, thank you so much, Lynn. It's brilliant. I love the work you're doing. It's absolutely brilliant. I love how you explain it. And uh, it's, it's great because you, you bring, you articulate it so well and you bring logic and science to all of this. And I love that. And I love that you're a woman as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and oh, we have to say that we bring logic and science to it, but also there's a kind of an X factor there that is a little beyond understanding. But you know what? It's there and it's a little bit of magic. So we're all going to sprinkle it on ourselves and use it. 
So thanks again, Anita. I love your work. I love your message. And we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening in. We really appreciate it. Take care. And we hope to see you soon. This is Lynn McTaggart, helping you to live the new science. Keep listening, and I'll continue to give you information and tips each time about how to incorporate this new information into your life.